Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Cindy Hoots. Cindy's the Chief Digital Officer and Chief Information Officer of AstraZeneca, a nearly $38 billion revenue pharmaceutical and biotechnology company. She's held that role for nearly three years. And in that role, she's indicated that she hopes to leverage technology to make a meaningful impact on the lives of a billion people. I look forward to understanding more about that goal and the work she and her team are driving there. Cindy's been a technology executive at a number of major companies prior to her time at AstraZeneca, including at Unilever, BAT, SAB Miller, ITT, and Mars. Uh, Cindy, welcome to Technovation. Looking forward to speak with you. I'm so glad to see you today. Thanks, Peter. So great to be here. So I wonder if you could take a quick moment, Cindy, I gave the briefest of uh, thumbnail sketches of AstraZeneca's business. Maybe take a few more minutes, if you don't mind, and just give an overview as to the business you all are in. Yeah, so AstraZeneca is headquartered in Cambridge in the UK, and we have a, a strong pipeline across not only the rare disease area, which we just did a major acquisition about a year ago, um, we're strong in building our business uh, in the oncology space, and then in the biopharma area in terms of chronic diseases, heart disease, um, cardiovascular issues, uh, those types of things that people oftentimes have to live with for quite a, a long period of time. Yeah, very interesting. And you, as I mentioned, are the CDO and CIO. Take a moment, if you would, and provide a bit of an overview of, of all that you oversee. And, and if you don't mind talking a bit about the two sides of your title, I'd be interested in that. Yeah, so I, I am the chief digital officer and the CIO, um, a role that when they were looking um, at this particular job, put together as, as one role. I think for me, in many ways, um, they really are um, well suited for each other. In the early days, you know, we had these chief digital officers, which in my mind is kind of a, a more temporary role around how do you act as a catalyst for an organization in terms of um, helping them to understand how technology can change uh, the way they do business today, but also what other business models and business adjacencies you can get into uh, in the future. And I think so much of that is driven um, from technology. And so I think in the chief digital officer roles, it's about being a catalyst of change and, and thinking about how do people go along on that particular journey, thinking about how their jobs change. You know, I remember in previous roles, we would talk about, you know, the marketing department and digital marketeers. And I think in the early stages, that's really a fundamental difference. But over time, what we want to do is democratize digital to the point that it's everybody's job. And how do you therefore upskill the entire organization and increase the overall kind of digital maturity? Um, and so I think in that part of the role, it's about how do we create uh, a learning culture? How do we create an organization that's you know ready for change, that can start to understand what this technology can do, and more importantly, how do they and their teams leverage it, um, you know, to, again, transform the way we work. I think in the CIO aspect, it's really about how do you create a modern technology organization? I mean, we, we all know that the needs of organizations is rapidly changing, and, you know, certainly the last three years gave us a lot of life lessons in that regard. Uh, in the CIO side, you know, the fact that I am a technologist, that I started as a programmer, um, that I've spent a lot of time understanding the technology side, 
And then being able to couple that with business knowledge about where is the business trying to go and how um, can we marry these two things together. Um, I think all of it kind of comes together in, in quite a cohesive way. I really like your your overview of why the CDO in some ways may be a temporary role for many because it it, it uh, demarcates a change that needs to happen. But once it has happened, it becomes pervasive. Perhaps the at least the title becomes less necessary. I, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, but perhaps then in the future, uh, you know, roles like yours will return to simply the CIO role, or maybe there's a different moniker that's used. But that's a really interesting perspective yeah. you shared there. I mean, I think it's really important because I think the whole goal is to democratize it, right? Yeah. Uh, when many companies start on this digital journey, you know, they carve out 5%, 10% of the team that's going to work in this new digital way because you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to understand what it means for, you know, your industry, your company, your department. Um, but if if we do the job right and we actually uplift and it becomes everybody's job to do it, then, yeah, then I think these jobs have kind of served their purpose and um, and then go away. And, and I think in talking to a number of other chief digital officers, I think that is a shared kind of viewpoint uh, across many of them. Yeah, great, great perspective. Thank you for that. I wonder, um, talk a bit about your team, if you would. And you meant you articulated a, a few different things that are under your purview. Uh, is your team also re- uh, divided into a digital side of the house and a and an IT side of the house, if you will, or is are they uh, commingled to a greater extent? How how is it organized, please? Yeah, so I made a kind of a conscious decision to commingle it um, because, again, I think if you believe that it's everybody's job to do digital, then what we want to do is, you know, kind of grow that skill um, across the organization. So we've really kind of taken more of a holistic approach um, and we partner really well with our kind of business functions who help on the change management side and, you know, introducing the change. But on the on the IT side, uh, we've just chosen or I've chosen to keep it holistic. And I think that gives us a longer runway of, you know, our new operating model and, and all of that. Yeah, that make, that makes sense. And, and yours is a global team, and it's a global company, as you point out, uh, uh, with major operations in so many different parts of the world. Talk a bit about how you manage such a uh, broad-reaching team as yours. Yeah, so you know we do have a, a a team that's mainly located in three hub sites: so the U.S., the U.K., and Sweden, which is where our big R and D centers are. Um, and then we have two big um, centers in India, as well as Guadalajara that we call global innovation and technology centers. And that has the predominance of um, my IT organization is in those two locations. But then we also have other um, you know, parts of IT where they're scattered around the business, um, either in being close to sales offices or manufacturing facilities. In geographically, uh, we're kind of dispersed. I think in terms of managing it, it's it's we're predominantly insourced. Um, I I think that's really served us incredibly well. A model that uh, I think uh, will continue at least for the tenure for me. I think it's really an important aspect as technology changes to make sure that you know we're building those technology skills uh, within the organization. I think you know the reality is it's a bit like you put together the vision, you help people know where the North Star is. And from there, think through the strategy. I think we've done a good job of creating our IT 2025 strategy that 
has probably been adopted even uh, more than I expected. I have to say, probably the best best example I've had of being able to articulate the strategy and then and having it you know be sticky and people really following it. And what's been really nice is I think it then allows for decision making, you know, lower in the organization, because if people know where you're going and they know the strategy of how to get there, they're better able to make those decisions in a more decentralized way, which, again, with an organization this big, um, I think helps us go at speed. That's a great insight. I, I, could you take a moment? I, I really like the way you said that, that the, the plan has been uh, sticky and it's one of the best examples, at least from your career in terms of adoption as well. Um, what, what are, are there other, other reasons why um, or methods used? Uh, I like your, your point about making sure that it's uh, understood by the entire organization, even people lower in the organization. So my word's not yours. Everyone's pushing in the same direction um, and, and so forth. Any other kind of secrets to making sure that that plan is sticky and, and well executed? Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because even just the graphics that were used um, around it and the, the little icons that we use for each of the four pillars. Um, and, you know, a lot of the strategies around leading with AI and insights, then accelerating innovation and delivery. The third one is optimizing how we work. Uh, how we work. And then the fourth one is around sustainability and people. And, you know, what happens is we put icons around those. And so no matter when we're talking about it or presenting something, we link back through those icons to help people understand, well, how does this initiative fit into the overall strategy? So keeping that line of sight, I think these graphics have helped us do that. And then we celebrate each month on what people have done that they're really proud about. And again, they, they link it to the predominant category. Oftentimes an initiative will transcend both, you know, maybe an AI and an innovation space, uh, but they pick the prominent one. And again, it reinforces just in a natural, easy way, hey, this is what I'm working on and this is how I contribute to the strategy, which is contributing to the overall vision. So I think a few of those little things where we link the communications to the strategy, almost every presentation, we have the, the one pager part of the strategy. And then we use it to say, this is what I'm talking about today and here's how it fits in. And that happened more organically. I remember at the end of one meeting where we had the whole ITLT together, I'm like, did somebody tell them to like use this format? And they're like, no, they just chose to do it. And it was interesting to see kind of the grassroots movement where people were pulling parts of the strategy and the icons and just linking it into their presentations and, and kind of how they were communicating. So that's really interesting. I want to double click on a, a item you mentioned a while ago in, in your earlier response. You talked about areas where you have team members and you highlighted places like India and Guadalajara. When people think about geographies like India or Mexico, um, I think oftentimes for multinationals that are based in the West, one would immediately assume that those are, in fact, outsourced providers, managed service providers of one sort or another. As you point out, most of IT within your organization is insourced. And in fact, these are colleagues of yours. And I know actually from our past conversations, Cindy, I've been really fascinated by some of the different ways in which you think about organizing those teams. I wonder if you could take a quick moment and talk a bit about the philosophy behind what you have built uh, in places like India, for example, and uh, different expectations you have about the uh, what can be driven there, please. 
Yeah. So I was very lucky. My predecessor is actually the one that um, first decided to insource a lot of our IT organization and then chose to to put it into Chennai and Guadalajara. And so I got to come in and inherit that, which was brilliant. And I think initially early on, like so many companies, it was about having dedicated people that could help us. There was certainly a, a labor arbitrage and, and an availability of resource there that was important. We did a lot of our service center and that type of work um, in in Chennai. And I would say after the the last seven years or so, we've really proven that this model works well for us. Um, I think the the addition I was able to then make was it was working well enough that I kind of really felt like there was more that this team um, in these two locations could do. And so we've really um, been focused on how do we drive innovation out of these centers rather than being at a low-cost uh, labor arbitrage play, there's a lot of brilliance um, that is in both of these locations. There's a lot of brilliance everywhere in the world, but um, I think it's an under-tapped market. There's so much happening, even in the startup ecosystem in India. It's starting to rival Silicon Valley. And so if you have that level of innovation, then how could we tap into that, especially the entrepreneurial spirit of our company? We like working uh, with these types of organizations. So about a year ago, we decided to really be driving more of the innovation in India. And in a place where I know a lot of your peers are having issues of attrition, higher rates of attrition in a place like India relative to uh, you know prior periods in that in that geography at all, but also relative to uh, this current period in the U.S. or other places, I wonder to what extent, Cindy, you found that to be differentiating for you that you're an employer uh, where a different level of innovation can be driven as opposed to the kind of typical to use a pejorative, a body shop, you know, that the sort of inner, uh, uh, where, where the parts or pieces seem to be interchangeable. Um, have you found that to be the case with the team that you've built? Yeah, it's really starting to, because, you know, it takes a while to, you know, you make the declaration that you're changing. Um, and, you know, when my team and I were down in Chennai last month, we met with NASCOM while we were there. And we were asking them, you know, some questions around what is the general makeup? you know, in terms of what types of companies are, are using services in India for what types of things. The statistic they shared with us is only 5% are really driving innovation right now. Um, so it is quite differentiating. I think we'll start to see that more and more companies will move in this direction. What we're hoping to do is, is uh, kind of capitalize on being an early adopter. But, you know, partly is you need to have interesting work. So first, we kind of declared that, okay, we're going to drive more innovation out of our global innovation and technology centers, but um, you have to reorganize. So a lot of the way the work was previously done is some of the management was in the US or the UK or Sweden, and then the team might have been in India. Now we're saying, no, no, the leader has to be in India. Like we want to take full pieces of work and drive them out of India, not just have them be, you know, resources on another initiative. And so that's taking a, a bit of time. We're trying to hire some really skilled uh, individuals to, to kind of lead in that space um, and then reorient the teams. It doesn't mean that we won't continue to do great innovation in other locations, but 
you know, there's so much work still to be done that we think this is a, a really good way of doing it. And I do think that people are starting to understand more and more what we're doing and it, it's leading to, to some differentiation in terms of access to talent. Yeah. And, and at the same time, you're expanding the aperture as to where innovation can happen, which surely is an important thing in this day and age. Well, hey, I wanted to also ask you, you re- referenced the many, you referred to them as life lessons of the past two and a half years uh, uh, in the pandemic. I mean, you joined the company in 2020. And so much of your time has been during these more very unusual times uh, for all of us. Talk a bit about some of those life lessons and some of the, I don't know, silver linings, perhaps, in terms of the ways of operating for you and your colleagues uh, during a time when, you know, for a, a significant portion of it, it was very difficult to to uh, collaborate in person, uh, obviously new ways of working. You're also in an industry, of course, that uh, has been front and center uh, of the change that's been necessary uh, and innovation that's been necessary for us all. Talk about some of those, those quote unquote, life lessons that you referenced. Yeah, I mean, I think that the positive life lessons, certainly from a company perspective, is just that it showed us really quickly. If you are clear on the goal that you're trying to go after um, and collaborate across functions, that you can do some fairly remarkable things. I think, more importantly, at a speed that none of us really thought was possible at the time. I mean, we were obviously not in the vaccine business, but collaborated with Oxford to manufacture their vaccine. We stood up a new manufacturing facility in 46 days. And it was beautiful watching the industry come together, the collaboration with government and academia come together, the collaboration within you know companies themselves. Um, and I think for me, I felt like I got to join this industry. And, you know, three, three, four weeks later, we started to hit the pandemic. Um, what was great about it was I think I got to see the industry at its best. Each company celebrating when, when another company would get uh, a milestone, um, knowing that, you know, the world needed some help and this was a, a way to do that. So I kind of feel like I got to start off and see the entire industry at its best. There's always complications and ups and downs. I think one of the things that we started to see, and it's one of the big trends that I believe will be with us for a while, is kind of the advent of disinformation. And I think sometimes, you know, you're trying to do the right thing. You you go into it with good intent and you don't realize always how those words might be misconstrued or intentionally amplified in a way. But I think it's certainly opened my personal eyes to you know, what is the world of disinformation? How is it being used to to kind of sway public opinion and and things like that? And I think as CIOs, this is something if you're not already uh, knee deep in, if you don't have external advisors um, that can help you when when you get into this, I would highly encourage you to do that. Because I think the downside is no matter what you do, there'll be things of it that are really positive. And then there's going to be people who are trying to capitalize on it for for other purposes. And, um, you know, it's how do you always keep that in in check? I think for me personally, just the level of empathy really went up. I mean, I think I was always quite an empathetic person, but all of a sudden, you know, people were losing loved ones, but couldn't say goodbye. And we're trying to deal with all of that while they were working and trying to be teachers and, and, you know, homeschool their children and take care of elderly parents and, you know, get their jobs done, knowing that, you know, the work they were doing was really vital to to the world health and, and all of that. So it just put a lot of different things into perspective. 
around, you know, how do we as leaders allow people to manage the multiple aspects of their life? And sometimes their home life will infringe on work and sometimes work infringes on their home life. But how do we lead in a in a different way as well? Great, great thoughts across the board. I really appreciate you sharing all those perspectives. Cindy, you talked about an unfortunate trend that's arisen, the advent of disinformation, as you you pointed out. I wonder what tech trends as you look to the future or trends, generally speaking, have you excited um, as you look a year or two or three out? What are some things that are starting to make their way into your roadmap that have you particularly uh, encouraged? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I'm a bit of a techno optimist. So I tend to get excited about the future of technology. It it certainly has the downsides that we need to worry about as well. But I just envision this whole connected world, you know, this world where our digital world and our and our physical world are just seamlessly kind of integrated together. Um, And with that is is kind of the whole advent of the spatial web, uh, Web3. And, you know, I think technologies like 6G, you know, we're we're talking about 5G, but 6G is already, you know, on on the horizon. Um, But when we think about, you know, what that will bring and the reduction of latency and the increased speed that we'll be able to get, you know, you can imagine this more metaverse type world where things are, you know, augmented reality has become dominant. People are able to walk the streets of, of New York and read the signs and, and all that right through their glasses without, you know, the other day I was I was there and I was looking for directions and I had my head, you know, kind of buried in my phone. I think that'll be a thing of the past. And so getting familiar with the spatial web, getting familiar with metaverse, um, augmented reality, these are things that we're quite um, heavily invested in. Um, as a company, because again, not all of that is always relevant right in the moment, but if you don't start to get yourself um, up to speed and knowing, you know, where the opportunities lie, then I think you find yourself at the the tail end. So we've kind of recently stood up um, a whole, what we call XR. So whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality team, um, we've got our own metaverse environment, looking at how to, the digital twins that we already have play into that um, and just trying to build up some internal muscle um, on, on some of these trends. That's really interesting, Cindy. So I'm, I'm hearing you say it's important, even if the, the value isn't immediately apparent, it's important to be immersed in this and to test things out and to validate value or lack thereof uh, in a whole range of areas so that you're not caught wrong-footed or, or behind others, but are, you know, sort of pushing the envelope as to what's possible. Is that a, a fair synopsis? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think technology is changing so fast. I always talk to the team. I'm like, if you're not learning every single day, like you're, you're going to become irrelevant fairly quickly because uh, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, it takes a lot of time to keep myself current. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. No, very well said. Uh, Cindy, I also wanted to ask you, as somebody who has achieved such remarkable heights at an at a organization of great consequence, just as you, you have at, at, at other big companies that I alluded to in, in introducing you, what are some thoughts about the secrets to your success? And I'd especially love uh, if you wouldn't mind tuning your response, uh, perhaps in a way that, that those who are a few rungs behind you um, who might wish to follow in your footsteps, uh, you know, some advice that, that you might offer in terms of the pathway uh, to a position like yours? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's really rooted in kind of who I am. So a big part of it is I love to learn. I love to learn new things. Um, I try every day to 
start my day with 15 minutes of learning at least. It just kind of puts in my mindset that, hey, there's a lot I don't know. And, you know, being the student of life and being open to new things. So I think the first thing is, do you invest in your own learning? Um, And if not, that's probably something I would recommend. And it doesn't have to be incremental. Sometimes it could be listening to this podcast on the drive into the office or while you're out for a run. It doesn't, learning doesn't have to be an incremental time commitment. Earlier today, I was talking to a group of people and I said, it could just be inviting somebody to lunch and asking them what they do and starting to learn different areas and all of that. So I would say learning has been probably the biggest thing if I were to put my mind on it. I think being open to doing new things, probably in the last 10 years, I heard about a phrase and, and it's really stuck with me. It's like jump and trust that the safety net will appear. And I think what it for me means is just say yes to different things you're asked to do. I mean, some of them aren't the best, um, maybe not what you would have even wanted for yourself, but by just leaning in when opportunities present, all of a sudden I look back and I think, ooh, that job that they asked me to do that I really didn't want to do is probably one of the you know pivotal ones that got me where I am today. Um I think you've got to be at times willing to do jobs that nobody else wants to do. So I first became a CIO. Uh, I was at a at SAB Miller and based in London, and they needed somebody to go down to Africa and be the CIO. You know, probably was not on my career plan, but I just said yes, and it was one of the most enriching experiences I've ever had. And so I think this openness would be the second thing. And then I think, you know, the third is probably networking. And, you know, you and I've talked about this in the past, um, but especially in today's digital era where everything is being done in an ecosystem, no one company can do it on their own. Um, Do you have the network of people that you can, you know, reach out to, um, to kind of collaborate with and get things done? It's probably the third. Really great. Great thoughts all around, Cindy. Thank you for sharing a, a bit of about those difference makers for you. Uh, the idea of, of being a, a lover of learning, learning agile, if you will, therefore, like thinking about what's next and um, well, you know how you can add to your, your, your bailiwick uh, is such a great piece of advice. Being open to do new things certainly makes a lot of sense. And of course, thinking like a group, building a great ecosystem uh, to which you can turn to do special things, all, all great pieces of advice. Well, Cindy Hoots, thank you so much for joining me today, sharing a bit about your uh, your remarkable career, your remarkable tenure uh, at AstraZeneca, uh, and a bit about what you're seeing for the future as well. It's been a really great conversation. Thanks so much, Peter. Great to be with you. We'll talk soon. <laughs>